It's good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight is probably one of the most difficult lessons a preacher ever preaches. There may be some others up there too, but this is one of the more difficult ones. And I feel like if you do a lesson on the subject that we're looking at tonight, it's either a, a make or break sermon. You either do a really good job with it or you do a really not so good job with it. And I think I've done both in time past. But the lesson that we are looking at tonight is on the word hell. And I was going through some notes, as I mentioned this morning, and I found a sermon in there. Uh, I can think of just a handful of unique sermons. Some that I have been brave enough to try, and some that I haven't gotten up the courage to do yet. Uh, one of those is The Honest Gentile by James Watkins. I've heard it twice. And we got the outline when he did it here. And I haven't been brave enough to try that one yet. Uh, another one is one that I have done here. We uh, pulled the pulpit back and we had a, a row of chairs. And each chair represented a status of somebody, um, wherever that might have been, whether you were saved or, or whether you uh, were safe or whether you were lost. There's a chair for everyone. I have done that one. And I found this one and I thought this would be a really good way to present this lesson. And it's titled, A Walk Through Hell. It's going to be a difficult lesson, so bear with me. But I think there's a lot to learn in it. And again, this is not original with me, but I'm going to do my best with it. To introduce the lesson, I think we have to have a good idea, a good understanding of what hell is. There are many who believe that there is no hell. There are those that think that there also is no heaven, and thus there is no hell to go along with it. Uh, there are those that believe that there is a heaven, but that there is not a hell. Hell just doesn't exist. How could a loving God, uh, how could He ever want to send anyone there? They just can't fathom that. And so, heaven, you know, we'll accept heaven, but, but not hell. Uh, some think that hell is real, but maybe it's not as bad as we think. Maybe it's only for a certain time, and the punishment ends, and and we cease to exist altogether. I've also heard that, that when in judgment, that there will be the division of the sheep and the goats, just as it is specified in Matthew chapter 25, that uh, we're going to be separated, and, and God's just going to look back and say, I'll, I'll just come on in. So there are many different views when it comes to hell, and there are a lot of ways that people try to explain it away. There are also different meanings of the word hell and different uses, especially if you use the King James Version. Um, in the King James Version, that, that was the way they translated those words, and so it made sense to them. But we have other ways of translating them and other meanings that we can gather from them. Uh, one is Sheol, and I believe that's the Hebrew. It means the grave or the pit. We also have Hades that is represented by the place of departed souls. 
You have Tartarus, um, which is mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, where angels who have sinned are chained and reserved for judgment. And it could also be uh, the torment that is mentioned in Luke chapter 16 uh, in reference to Hades. Uh, but that one is, is not as sure. And you also have Gehenna, and that's what we're going to really look at tonight. The punishment for the wicked after death. And again, we have to ask that question, is hell real? Is it real? As we will see from this lesson, God goes into great lengths to assure us that hell is real. He mentions it in His Word. He gives detail to describe it. Following judgment, it is mentioned alongside the joys of heaven. Both are described as eternal or everlasting in Matthew 25 and verse 46. It is the alternative for those who fail to inherit the kingdom of God as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. And we are assured that the wicked shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation 21 and verse 8. It is described as the second death. Now I'm just going to mention a very few details of of what hell is like to give us an idea to kind of set the scene for the rest of the lesson. And this is just basic references to some of the things that, that describe it. Hell is described as a place of torment and agony. It is described in Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15 as a lake of fire. In Matthew 25 and verse 30 is described as a place of outer darkness. Matthew 10:28, eternal destruction. It is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 8 and verse 12. Everlasting punishment in Matthew 25 and verse 46. It is a place devoid of rest. Torment forever. Revelation 14:11. The fire is not quenched, Mark 9, verses 47 through 48. And everlasting fire, in Matthew 18, verse 8. Hell is reserved for the wicked. First of all, for the devil and his angels, as it is mentioned in Matthew 25, in verse 41. All evil of all ages, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. The disobedient, Romans 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, unbelievers, liars, and uh, there's a whole list that is mentioned in Revelation 21 and verse 8. Erring members of the church are mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and also 20 through 22. And those who have never obeyed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. And some of those will get into a little bit as we go throughout our lesson. Um, if you'd like a, a more of a detailed reference sheet, uh, I did have some things that I meant to make some copies of. I forgot them, but uh, I'd be glad to make those for you. Amen. But as we get into our lesson for tonight, we're going to take a walk through hell.
It's hard to imagine what hell is like. But we do have some detail to, to give description of it. Although I don't think any of us could ever completely understand what it is like. But I want you for a moment to, to just close your eyes. This is going to be a walk of imagination. But I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and just, just think of these things as, as we go through them. As we take a walk through hell, we realize that there are certain people that are going to be there. Certain people that we will see. And we'll recognize these from Scripture. As we begin this walk, as we begin this, this tour, if you will, we hear the, the echo of words. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And we recognize those to be the words of Cain. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Let's begin reading at verse 2. Genesis 4 and verse 2. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now, I imagine there was more than just talking going on. But it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Why? Why is Cain in, in hell? He's in hell because he refused God's way. God's way was by blood, a blood sacrifice. And, and he refused to, to follow. He refused to offer that sacrifice. And we are also told later that, that not only did he refuse to choose God's way in the sacrifice, but, but also later on we see that he left the presence of God. In chapter 4 and beginning with verse 15 we read, And the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. It is probably meant that he left the place of worship and, and with it he left the recognition of God in his life. 
And many believe that his life worsened instead of getting better from that point on, that he never did return back to the presence of the Lord. And certainly we're never told that in Scripture. But let's keep moving. And we hear the words echoing, Let us in! Let us in! And we're reminded of the wicked of the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis 6 and beginning with verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah built an ark for the saving of his household. And for 120 years he prepared the ark, preaching as he did so, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 5. And when the flood, when the flood came, those waters rose. Only he and his family were inside the ark with the animals. And we can imagine those outside of the ark. We can only imagine what it must have been like for them seeing the, the rising of the flood waters and, and, and if they made their way to the ark, you can, can, can imagine them knocking, let us in, let us in. But it was too late. And their fate was sealed. Because the wicked refused the warnings, they too will be found in hell. And we hear the sound as we move on, the sound of, of weeping. Uh, a weeping woman by the name of Jezebel. She is the wife of Ahab. In 1st Kings chapter 21, Ahab had been warned about what would happen if he continued in his wickedness. And Jezebel too. She was warned right along with him. In 1st Kings 21 and beginning with verse 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. 
I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. And after all this time goes by, you might imagine that Jezebel had the thought that maybe she got away with her sin. Maybe Ahab too. But all of these things came to pass as you read in 2 Kings chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. And here we read about what happened to Jezebel specifically. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head. And looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace in my murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down! So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the wall, on the horses, and, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. No matter how much time passes by, something that we can rest assured of is that our sins will find us out, as according to Numbers chapter 32, and verse 23. But, but wait, uh, there's a man and a woman, they're, they're running from something. Well, that's Herod and Herodias. Turn to Matthew 14, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 14, and beginning with verse 1. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. But it wasn't John, it was Jesus. In verse 3, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. She was the wife of another. And so he pointed out simple fact. It was not his right to have her as his wife. In verse 5, And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. 
But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths, and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. It was not John that was returned from the dead, but, but it was Jesus. But why would Herod think such? Obviously, his conscience was bothering him. And must still be bothering him in his eternal abode. See, you can cut off the head of the preacher. But your conscience will haunt you. And if it's not taken care of, it's something that will haunt you for eternity. And there's the sound of, of water. There's someone washing his hands. Pilate. Pilate is washing his hands. And standing next to him is his wife, saying, I told you not to do it. I told you not to do it. It's Matthew 27, beginning with verse 11, we read of Pilate. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. He knew that Jesus wasn't guilty. And in verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just man for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus the governor answered and said to them which of the two do you want me to release to you and they said Barabbas Barabbas Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. 
The governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified! Let him be crucified! When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You know, no matter how hard or how long Pilate washes his hands, he still can't remove the blood stains from them. Because you see, Pilate was just as guilty as anyone of the blood of Jesus. He gave in to the crowd. He gave in to their, their cries and, and what they wanted. He had even been warned by his wife not to do it. And yet he still, he, he didn't know what else to do. And so he gave in to them. Have we ever done similar have we ever given in to the crowd? Maybe it's in the way that we act or, or in the way that we dress or something. Uh, especially when, when we're in high school and things of that nature. It's very easy to give in to peer pressure. And that's what Pilate did. He gave in to the crowd. And we hear another cry from a distance. I have betrayed innocent blood. See, that's the cry of Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas basically sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver, betraying Jesus. He had spent three years in the presence of Jesus. He had heard the sermons. He saw the miracles. He saw all the great things that Jesus was able to do. But in Matthew 27, beginning with verse 1, it says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Why would Judas be found here? Partially because of his greed. He allowed money to come between himself and God. We understand from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But what we understand from Judas is that he didn't repent. We know that Peter also denied Jesus. But he repented. He changed his ways. But Judas felt the best way to deal with it was to kill himself. And that's what he did. His remorse did not lead him to make his heart right with God, or at least that's not what we read in Scripture. 
And hear another cry, Brother! Brother! This is the rich man. In Luke chapter 16. The rich man who is in torment. We read in Luke 16 and verse 19 that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gates, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I, I wonder what it was like for the rich man in his lifetime. Some believe this is to be a parable. Some believe it to be a real story. But if it's a real story, I wonder what that was like for him to pass by Lazarus, to see him sitting at the gate, begging to be fed. And, and did he look at him and say, I, you just want something like everybody else? You know, how did he deal with that in his heart? He had an opportunity, an opportunity to be kind and helpful. I have on my board in my office a, a note to remind myself that every moment is an opportunity. He had his opportunity. But now we find him in torment. Lazarus is in the comfort in the bosom of Abraham. And this time it's the, the roles are reversed. We have Lazarus in, in comfort and experiencing the good things. And the rich man is now the one that is begging. Just, 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 a, just a, a little drop of cold water to cool my tongue. And realizing that there is no hope for him, he begs that that word be sent to his brothers so that they do not experience the same, but they have Moses and the prophets. But you know, he knows deep down that they won't hear him just like he didn't. But if you send someone from the dead, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, 
Why would they be persuaded if someone were to come from the dead? And now, we hear those cries, Brother! Brother! He waited until it was too late to start thinking of others. We see all of these people in hell for a reason. And this is all speculation. This is imaginative with the exception of what we read in Scripture. And we, we know what they did. And maybe it is that someone in this list repented and we're not aware of it. I, I don't know. But before we leave, before we get out of this horrible place, we see something else. We see someone else. We see that Satan, the seed of sin himself, is in hell. We understand that hell is prepared for Satan and his angels from Matthew 25. And verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. However, our view of Satan might be a little bit different than, than what we might have thought it to be originally. You see, Satan does not own or operate this eternal abode for the condemned. Hell is prepared as a means of dealing with the wickedness that, that he has begun and fostered. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1 would begin reading, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And in verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the city of the, or the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, do I claim to understand all the, all the things that are mentioned here? I don't. But what I do understand is that Satan is under the control of God. And when it comes to hell, Satan is going to be suffering the punishment for his wickedness just as anybody else is. So many multitudes that will be sent there and he will be suffering just as they are. We, we see that God controls the, the key to this bottomless pit from verse 1. God is in control. We're almost out. 
But there's someone else that we see. We see people that we know. We see family there. Blood relatives. Maybe it's a, a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Aunt, uncle. But we see people that we know because they haven't turned their lives and their hearts to Christ. Maybe it's our best friend that we see there. Or maybe some other loved one. These are people that, that we have spent a great deal of time with on earth. And yet we find them in this horrible torment. Why are they here? It, it may even be uh, people that we have, have attended church services with, maybe for years. But maybe they haven't been faithful like they should have been. And maybe we didn't realize it for whatever the reason, but, but we see these friends and loved ones in hell. We have to wonder, could I have done more? Could, could I have talked to them about Jesus? Could I have taught them what they needed to do to be saved, to keep them from coming to this awful place? And then we also have to wonder about our own souls. And what if I haven't done as much as I should? Will I be one of the souls in hell? Hell is going to be a, a, an awful punishment for those that are there. And it's a place that we certainly don't want to go. We certainly don't want to see our friends and family and loved ones there either. And maybe we can do more in, in our lives. Maybe from this day forward, purpose to do more to try to reach those that are lost and try to bring them to Christ. To be honest with you, I believe I can do more. I think you can too. But we have to make sure also that we keep our own souls from going to hell. We keep our own souls out of this horrible torment. There are many places that I can imagine visiting that would be joyous and, and great to, to see. But this is not one of them. I don't believe that you would be here tonight if you had any intention of being in hell. But maybe it is that your heart is not right with God. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to, to return to faithfulness, return to Christ. Rededicate your life to Him. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done or you need to ask for prayers on your behalf. We don't want you to go here either. We love you and we care for you. And so if anyone tonight is in need of responding to the gospel, 
And we give you that opportunity. Let's together we stand and as we sing.